Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, where we will bring you some of the most interesting interviews and features from the world of tech. Visit irishtechnews.ie and check out our podcast section to explore all of our previous episodes. You can subscribe to our podcast using whatever your favourite app or service is by visiting anchor.fm forward slash irish dash tech dash news. Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast. Today I'm joined with farmer and owner of Lindbrink Croft. Lynn Castles. Welcome and thank you for joining me. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. <laughs> so your book, Our Wild Farming Life, it's finally out. Congratulations. Thank um, you. So tell me more about the book and what can readers expect from it? Yeah, so I would say it's a kind of a, it's a warts and all book. Um, so the book basically follows uh, our journey from a life where we had nothing to do with farming, working in jobs with no experience, even I would dare say interest in farming uh, back in the day, uh, to where we are now, which is running a 150 acre uh, agricultural unit up here in the Highlands of Scotland. Um, so the, the story kind of starts with where we were at uh, down in the south of England, living and working as rangers for the National Trust. And it takes you through the, I guess, the evolutionary journey of us having this, I would say, kind of core desire to live closer to nature, but also to work the land. And when I say work the land, I mean, you know, grow and produce our own food. Uh, so we we decided to take a what on reflection was probably quite a drastic action to leave our jobs and move north to Scotland, really following following our hearts, uh, overriding our heads. And um, after two years living and working in Scotland, we started to look for some land and then found Limbrecht Croft, which is, as I say, it's up in the Cairngorm uh, National Park, 150 acre land holding in what I think it's fair to say most farmers would describe as awful farmland. It is terrible farmland from the point of view of our altitude, our exposure, uh, the quality of pasture that we have. Um, but we didn't see it like that. We saw it as a land of opportunity. We saw this beautiful, breathtaking location. And so we were lucky enough to, to find ourselves in a position to buy it. Because it was 150 acres, it was about 15 to 20 times bigger than what we were actually looking to buy because we were looking just simply for somewhere to grow food, have some hens, that sort of thing. So because of that, we had to really upscale our plans. And that's what sort of got us into farming. And really, the book takes you on that journey with us. You know, it takes us, takes you from how do you go from not being a farmer to being a farmer, especially in an area where you don't know anybody, uh, in a climate that you're not really used to. Um, and how do you do it in a way that still delivers the kind of quality of life that you want? So um, there's laughter, there's tears, there's highs, there's lows. And I think what's also, um, I think, good about the book is that it's just really real and really honest and that's something that we really wanted to share is that you know um, you can talk about all these wonderful things like you know growing your own food and how lovely it tastes but then actually also bringing in the harsh realities of, of farming the yeah. challenges of how on earth you you make money to pay the bills the realities of animals dying on you uh, all the challenges that are faced by I would say every farmer today, which slowly we're starting to talk about a little bit more. So I think that's what people can expect from the book. That's good. And um, so I know when you bought the, the farm Lindbring Croft in 2016, um, yes. you had no experience in farming. No. Um, <laughs> was it hard in the beginning to adapt to the farm life? Oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> 
Yes, it was. And I, again, I want to talk to you honestly about where we did come from and how that was even made our journey an even more interesting and even more challenging one. So I said that we were working down in the south of England as, as rangers uh, with the National Trust. So we had we had some practical experience. We had some basic experience in ecology, you know, understanding how, you know, things like soil health and stuff but not about the food side of element. Yeah. Then when we moved to Scotland, we actually spent two years working in rewilding. So we spent two years basically working for tree planting charities, whereby our jobs were to go out every day and plant trees on areas which would some would describe uh, as being um, overgrazed, uh, yeah. as being kind of denuded by years of sheep grazing. Um, it was a time in our lives when, you know, we were seeing the impact that farming can have on landscapes. We were reading books by people like George Monbiot, you know, who's a really kind of uh, big advocate of rewilding and uh, regeneration of landscapes and the removal of uh, farming in a lot of cases. So that that's the kind of background that we came from. Uh, we'd even actually started to question ourselves if we wanted to eat meat or we always asked where the meat came from. So you know, we were starting to try and source more and more, say, wild shot venison, that sort of thing, really not buying in a lot of, um, uh, you know, sort of supermarket meat, that sort of thing. So that's kind of the angle that we were coming from. We then get to Limbrek. Um, we see what we've got. We see where we're at and we have a decision to make. OK, so our decision is one. Do we uh, do we just leave the land? You know, we, we can we can make a veg plot. We can have some hens. But the other kind of 149.5 acres we just leave to nature. We can do that. Or do we actually try and produce our own food, not just for ourselves, but for our community, yeah. using a team of animals in a way that's actually going to benefit, enhance and regenerate the land? So that was the decision that we find ourselves in. And we decided to do the latter. So we decided to uh, bring on a team of animals, uh, each of which would have a purpose and a role. Um, and through managing ourselves, we, we don't describe ourselves as land managers. We describe ourselves as managing ourselves and then working with the land. So we decided to use these animals. And these animals are uh, highland cattle, uh, rare breed pigs, uh, pasture hens and uh, bees in their own ways, using all of their own natural instincts to regenerate the land. And as a result of that, we would have more biodiversity and we would be producing food. So we would be producing really like exceptional, high welfare, 100% pasture fed, pure beef. Uh, we'd be producing uh, woodland and grassland raised and foraged uh, pork, all fed and organic feed. Uh, we're producing the most incredible eggs from hens that forage in, you know, in fields where the grasslands as tall as your knees yeah. and they're eating grubs and bugs and seed heads and they're fed an organic feed as well. And they produce these incredible eggs. And then we produce honey as well. So we have a, a wildflower honey and then we have a heather, a heather honey as well. But we can show, um, so, we, we're, so we're producing food, we're farming, I say this is farming, um, but we're doing a way in which the, the underlying uh, tone is always regenerate the land. So what we did, I guess, you know, I'm trying to say in summary is we used our practical experience from our roles as rangers looking at ecology and nature. We took those elements of rewilding whereby we're like, yeah, we can't keep degenerating landscapes. So how do we regenerate the landscapes? Yeah. And then we take this third element of we love food. We love celebrating food. We love eating food. And actually, we believe 
we, we, you know, we're, we're built to eat meat, so we want to eat meat, but what kind of meat do we want to eat? And if we can produce that for ourselves, we're pretty sure there's other people that want to buy that kind of meat. So that's how our route into farming uh, came to be. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> um, so, so I know you left your friends, family and job in England um, to live in, in Scotland and start your business. How yeah. did they react when you left England? Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was a, it was a kind of, um, it was, it was a sort of a half and half really. So, I mean, my family are obviously, I, many of you can probably tell, but I'm from Ireland originally. I'm from the North of Ireland. So my, my mum and dad live just outside Belfast and majority of my kind of cousins and aunts are all still over there. So they kind of got used to me not being around there. Um, a lot of Sandra's family, Sandra actually, so her mom is from Scotland, but she actually grew up in Switzerland. Um, that's where her mom and dad now live. So, so our kind of some of our immediate family, we'd already made a bit of a break from, but we'd really established ourselves down in the south of England. We've got a really like tight network of friends. Um, my sister lives in London. It's my only sister. So I'm very close to her. So whenever we told them we were leaving, there was this kind of, you know, sadness, obviously, that uh, that we were going. But everybody was so excited and they were so excited because we had been talking about wanting to do this for so long. And you know how I'm sure, you know, everybody can think of somebody in their lives who who's talked about something they're so passionate about. Right. Yes. And then when they actually go and do it, you just want to go just do it. I'm so excited for you. Go for it. That's that's just what your passion is. You get one life. Just go for it. And really, that's what we found. And we actually mentioned a little bit in the book about how, you know, I remember telling our boss, oh, you know, we're, we're going to leave. And initially there was that kind of shock. And then she just gave me this massive hug because they almost felt we weren't just following our dreams. We were following mm -hmm. a lot of other people's dreams as well. And they were just 100% behind us. So, so it was, it was, it was a real bittersweet moment. Oh, that's <laughs> good. <laughs> and um, as farmers and living in the land, do you miss anything from the city? Anything from the city? Um, <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, I did before, before working for the National Trust, I had about seven years uh, living in London. Before that, I was in, I was in, I was in Birmingham for about six yeah. years. So I was pretty used to city life. And yeah, there's some things that, you know, you, you really love, like, you know, you, you do a day, uh, you do a day in the office and then maybe, you know, you go for a pint after work or something. And, and that's quite nice. Or, or going out to like, um, you know, a music venue for an evening mm -hmm. and, you know, there's live music and there's, there's the kind of lots of stuff going on. And I think what I really loved about that uh, was that was kind of really in, in sync, in synergy with where I was at that point in my life. You know, I had a lot of energy. I wanted to kind of go out and socialize. Now I feel my life is kind of taking a different direction and I have different priorities and yeah, different, different kind of things that I really love doing. And it's funny, you know, my, my mother-in-law was just visiting this morning and we were talking, she still lives in the city and we were talking about just how beautifully quiet it is here. And I, I forget how I, how I don't notice that anymore. You know, mm -hmm. I'm used to moving around in silence, you know, and Sandra, you know, when she's here, you know, and I'm not around, she moves around in silence. And one of the things that we love about being here is that the silence around us helps us to get silence in our head. You yes. know, whereas when you're in a city, you know, even when, you know, you've got the TV turned off or whatever, there's noise from the outside. So there's always this kind of stuff that's kind of interfering with your head. Here, it's birdsong, you know, or it's, it's very, very little other than other than nature. And uh, 
So whilst, you know, I like to kind of dip my toe in the city, I think yes. my heart's in the countryside. Oh, that's great that you like it. <laughs> um, and would you encourage, encourage young people to join the agric agriculture industry? I mean, I 100% would, but I think, you know, before I, before I say why I would, I think I have to put it at the caveat that probably, this is probably one of the hardest uh, times to be a farmer, I would say at okay. this point in time. Um, in a conventional sense, um, we're all looking at uh, huge increases in everything, the price of everything, you know, in, in the last six months alone, our, our feed bill for our pigs and our hens has gone up by 25%. You know, that's a huge jump in such a short space of time. Uh, one thing that doesn't apply to us, but which would apply to vast majority of farmers is things like fertilizer prices have gone up. Um, I think farmers faced it so hard mm -hmm. as they do now. In addition to that, they're being scrutinized in the public uh, for the quality of food that is produced and things like animal welfare, which seems to be kind of one of the other, these kind of polarized debates. So farmers are really kind of just, they're just getting it from all sides. And then I think yes. in addition to that, you know, one of the things that's now really starting to come out about farming is the mental health crisis. You know, they're saying things like, um, you know, there's one uh, one farmer will commit suicide every week. Farmers are becoming mm. less and less happy. So as an industry, we're becoming less and less happy and we're making less and less money. So something really is fundamentally wrong. And I say that as a caveat at the start, because I do believe the light at the end of the tunnel is it doesn't have to be that yes. way. <clears throat> and I would say the reason why it doesn't have to be that way is that I really do believe that each of us individually, and I say it individually because we're all individual people you know you, what your neighbor does is not what you do you have to look at in what it is that you do yourself and I think if you can farm in a way that makes you happy that regenerates your land and that pays the bills then it can lead to an exceptionally high and happy quality of life so whenever young people are coming into the farming industry I think that there's a lot of um education and discussion nowadays about technology and efficiency and computerized yes. equipment and big tech and you know everybody seems to kind of get really excited about all of that I think all of that is doing is yes on the one hand it's it's increasing food production um on one level it's taking us away from where food actually comes from um <clears throat> so yeah just going back to to the 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 future of what I think farming can look like. I think yeah. you really have to take all of those elements of, you know, your bank balance, your happiness and the health of the land. I think those are the, the kind of the, the three pronged stool that your business has to sit on. Yes. And I think possibly um, the one that's the most important out of all of that is your yourself, your physical and mental health. And so I think whenever you're looking at going into farming, you have to prioritize exactly what is the model that works for you? Um, I think what one of the things that we have to do as farmers individually, because this is, you know, how we work, essentially, you know, a lot of us are one or two people setups, is that you have to almost shift away from thinking, I have to produce as much food as I can because I have to feed the world, to mm. actually thinking, I have to produce as much food as I can by making sure that my land is staying healthy and getting healthier for the rest of my time on earth because if my land isn't healthy 
then my business has no future. And I have to produce as much food as I can within the natural productive capacity of the land that's going to continue to keep it healthy. And I have to do it in a way that is not going to cripple me financially. So, you know, a lot of people talk about making money. I always talk about not spending money in that, you know, we always talk about how much money do you make? And then nobody ever actually looks at how much money you're spending. And so, you know, thinking about, you know, let's say, for example, how do I improve my fields? How do I make my fields more productive? Well, I can, I can plow them. I can reseed them. I can fertilize them. It's very intensive. It's very costly. I'll have to continue to do it every few years, but that's one option. Or I can run uh, a mixed herd of uh, Highland cattle or whatever cattle you want. Uh, I can integrate hens into the system. I can be producing this incredible product from both of these animals, both of which require, you know, low input if if I'm clever about how I graze them. Um, And actually, rather than spending money to increase, increase the productivity of the fields because they're fertilizing it and they're scratching out moss and they're doing all the stuff that I want them to do. I'm actually getting paid to do it because I've got a produce to sell at the end of it. So it's, it's really kind of shifting, shifting your perception of things. It's thinking, you know, how am I going to house, how am I going to, how am I going to afford to house all my animals for the winter? You know, rather than thinking, what are all those spends associated with it? It's thinking, well, how can I have animals? Maybe I'll carry a few less, but I'll get native breeds that can stay outside all year. I'll move them so they don't push the ground up too much. Um, And so I'm saving money um, rather than spending it. So, you know, that's just a few examples of of some kind of things that we think about. But I think there is such an exciting future for people in farming. You know, from our own experience, people are desperate for local food. They're desperate for high quality, high welfare, um, just nourishment. And they're desperate for the story of it. And they're desperate to know the people that produce it. So there is a definite, definite market there. It's just uh, seeing where you fit into it all and making sure at the end of the day that you get up every day and you go to bed every day with a smile on your face, because otherwise, you know, what's the point of all of this? (laughs) That's amazing. Um, and so, so just my last question to finish. Um, mm-hmm. and what's your plan in the future as a farmer? It's, that's the, that's the, uh, the, 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 the million dollar question. What's, what's the plan? <laughs> so I think it's, it's quite cool, actually. You know, we, we, Sandra and I had a bit of a chat this morning. So Sandra's my, my partner who obviously mm-hmm. I, I farm here with at Limbrek. And, um, you know, we were talking about what's happening in the world at the minute. And there's an awful lot of you know, challenges that people around the world are facing. And as a result, it's going to affect all of us, you know, here in the UK, you know, our electricity prices are going up, uh, our, our fuel costs are going up. So inevitably, the price of food is going to go up. And that's something that we're going to have to reflect in our prices. So what it's what it's made us start to do is actually just review what it is that we're doing, you know, are we going to you know, are we going to maybe change things up a bit? And it's it's an opportunity, actually, that we've really th- found that we thrive in. You know, you can face situations like this and you can think, you know, you can be the rabbit in the headlights, can't you? And you think, mm-hmm. how am I going to change this? How am I going to survive? And we really try and take situations like this and go, right, what are we going to change? What are we going to refresh? What are we going to refine? How are we going to avoid, you know, using this or doing too much of this? What, what, what's, what, how are we going to make this positive? And so, you know, we've been really looking at the the future in that kind of eye. So we're going to change up a little bit about how we sell some of our produce. So we're reducing things like our mileage and our delivery costs. And another thing that we talk about that we're quite keen to try and do is increase the productivity in terms of the food production, productivity of the land. So 
that's not going to come from more animals. The number of animals that we carry is, is about right. In fact, we'll probably go through a phase where we'll maybe reduce the number of animals uh, that we have for a short while just to add in an additional time of rest for the land. Uh, so what we're looking to do, uh, what we've actually started to do is integrate fruit trees into our fields. So that's a project that we've started this year. So the plan is to grow uh, blocks of fruit trees in all of our fields um, and they'll, they'll be sort of fenced off, just small blocks. And the cattle will uh, graze in and around them. So we'll, we'll not actually lose any grazing capacity whatsoever, but we'll potentially, goodness, you know, when all of those uh, apple trees and plum trees and pear trees mature, the amount of additional food and fruit bushes, the amount of additional food will just grow and grow and grow. Um, so, so we're really excited about, about that. So that's something for the future. Um, and then I think just uh, continuing to, to do what we do, you know, our big passion here is growing our own food. So we spend a lot of our time working in the kitchen garden, uh, working in our polytunnel. Um, we like things like curing meats. Um, we have a small micro butchery on site. So we do a lot of butchery of our own animals, which we sell direct to the, the public. Uh, we really enjoy that. So I think uh, for the future, it's going to be continuing to challenge ourselves, but also just trying to enjoy as much of it as possible. Thank you for joining me. It's been a pleasure talking with you and thank you for your You're time. Welcome. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the latest Irish Tech News podcast. Check back every day for the latest episode. You can follow us on Twitter at Irish underscore tech news. On Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Irish Tech News. On LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Irish dash tech dash news. On Instagram, instagram.com forward slash Irish Tech News dot IE. And on TikTok, tiktok.com forward slash at Irish Tech News.